Welcome to CPAC's Today in Politics. It's Monday, April 24th. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Here are the big political stories we're talking about today. The war of words continues as we head into day six of the public service strike. This, this is a complete demonstration of the incompetence of this minister in this position to allow these negotiations to drag out this long. German President Frank Walter Steinmeier is on Parliament Hill today as he continues his visit to Canada. Justin Trudeau took time from his speech at last week's Volkswagen announcement to lambaste Pierre Poilievre. A preview of the next election campaign? Do we want to see all the anxieties that we have and the challenges around the world and say, this is an opportunity for Canada to step up? Or do we want to throw up our hands and say, oh, it's just too tough out there. The world is too complicated. Canada is broken. We're never going to be able to succeed in this. Let's get really mad instead. Sorry, anger doesn't deliver this plant in St. Thomas. Joining us is Rob Russo, political analyst and former CBC Parliamentary Bureau Chief. Rob, thanks for being on the podcast. My pleasure, Julie. So today we're in day six of the uh, strike of public servants, and it was a pretty nasty weekend if you were following events. A lot of insults flying, the union calling the Treasury Board Minister Mona Fortier incompetent. Uh, She was cautioning them to quit playing games and let's just uh, get a deal going here. Uh, what can we expect in the few next few days? Because that, that sounded pretty negative. It did, but uh, look, uh, both both of us have been around a little bit. We remember some pretty tough strikes where, where uh, they were almost at daggers drawn across negotiating tables, government negotiators and, and, uh, and, and unions. Uh, up until now, this, this strike hasn't really bitten into the daily lives of, of Canadians. And some of that is, is by design. The union has public support and doesn't want to lose it. Uh, today, the union is threatening to make life a little less comfortable for the government by striking at ports and some other places where uh, it will begin to have an impact on the economy and maybe an impact on supply lines. Um, but uh, it, I, I don't sense a lot of that that bitterness. They're not that far apart on wages. It's it's nine percent over three years. The government is offering versus thirteen and a half percent over three years uh, that the union is asking for. The thing to remember here, Julie, is both sides have a, have a lot to do to lose. Um, uh, the Trudeau Liberals are trying to squash the NDP uh, support with Labour, uh, and Poilievre is trying to make uh, gains in the Labour movement, uh, and so. Uh, PSAC also has something to lose and that they know if they don't get the deal that they want from, from this government, uh, which has been pretty friendly to Labour, uh, that they're not going to get any kind of a good deal from the next government if it's a Poiliev government. So I, I really do think that they're not that far apart. I wouldn't be surprised if this thing wrapped up this week. Well, I mean, the bottom line is, uh, and we've probably talked about this before, but um, back to work legislation is always something a government might have in its back pocket if this is prolonged and if there's a lot of complaints and anger out there. But uh, Justin Trudeau, you just laid out all the political reasons why he really doesn't have a dance partner. No, and and when you think about it, they're they're about about one and a half percent apart for each year. So it's not wages. It seems to me that the sticking point is uh, work from home, uh, remote work. Uh, and 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 this is going to be a sentinel agreement. Uh, both sides are, are are cognizant of that. They know this is the kind of agreement that other unions right across the country are going to look to and say, uh, okay, so the 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 the, the, the die has been cast by by the federal government. Uh, and I think 
the federal government is probably under instructions from provincial premiers as well, saying, hey, hold the line on remote work and work from home. Uh, that's something that uh, that uh, should be at the employer's discretion uh, and could could affect productivity. So um, uh, I, I think that's probably the biggest sticking point. Um, but something that 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 can be worked, I would I would imagine. So, I mean, the thing is, just who do you think is going to blink? Well, um, given that the union has public support, I think it's probably going to be the government that that's going to be required to be more flexible. Uh, Madame Fortier said that uh, the, a new proposal was given to the union over the weekend and, and no response has, has been returned to that uh, that, that proposal. And so they're still, you know, they're still talking. Talks haven't broken down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, but the union is, is being judicious about the pressure it applies. Uh, and, and they're not trying to, to make Canadians feel this. So they're, they're clearly, they're on a bit of a tightrope. They, they, they want the government to feel pressure, but they don't want Canadians to feel exactly, pressure. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so let's see how, how today and tomorrow goes mm -hmm. when they start to make the government feel pressure. But at a certain point, when, when, you're, when you're doing things to supply lines, like they're threatening to do at ports, eventually that trickles down to, to people as well. It'll take a while, but, but they may begin to start seeing that if this goes on past this week. You may begin to see prices go up at the pump if mm -hmm. if, uh, if ships are not able to get in, or you might be able to see some products not available if ships are not able to get in and trucks aren't able to unload ships as well. So I do think that before that happens, we'll have a settlement. Okay, so on the Hill, just in a few hours, and if you're out and about this early, you might see some German flags uh, all over the place. Uh, the German president, Frank Walter Steinmer, will be on the Hill meeting with the prime minister later on. And, um, you know, this is not the first time we've uh, heard, heard Germany in the news, for sure, because the Volkswagen deal was big last week. Last August, the Chancellor Olaf Scholz was in Newfoundland uh, to sign a joint declaration to commit the two countries to the export of clean Canadian hydrogen to Germany. Um, there's a lot of Germans, high-level Germans coming to Canada. What's going on? <laughs> this has been one of the busiest years for uh, the relationship. We had the foreign minister come come earlier this year. Uh, we, we had Olaf Schultz here just, just a, a couple of months ago, and, and now the president. It's clear that the trade relationship is, is uh, burgeoning, and there's lots of goodwill. Volkswagen is just the beginning. Other companies in Germany are, are planning to make investments in Canada's high-tech sector. Um, but, but this is more than a goodwill visit. It will go a little bit smoother, I'm sure, than Olaf Scholz's visit. That one there, uh, I, I think a lot of people, um, um, perhaps unfairly, let's say, criticize the Trudeau government on, on uh, failing to provide Germany with, with LNG. <laughs> and, and we see uh, last week in Germany that, that they essentially said that they're not going to allow for the installation of any new oil and gas furnaces mm -hmm. in German homes beginning next year. Right. Uh, so we would have looked kind of foolish if, if we would have tried to set up infrastructure to send, to send them natural gas, for instance, on Canada's East Coast when it's clear they're phasing away from that market. Even before that happened, though, the European market for oil and for natural gas ha had peaked. They had options closer to them 
I believe they're getting it from from the Middle East. Uh, that made a lot more sense uh, for them uh, than to get it from us, where we would have had to ship it around from the Pacific coast all the way uh, through the Panama Canal to, to Germany. Uh, now, there is a future for liquid natural gas in Asia. It does make sense to build those plants on the West Coast. It just didn't make a lot of sense to build that infrastructure now that gas demand has peaked in Europe uh, and is going to go down. And now we see the Germans themselves saying, we're going to get off gas if we can beginning next year. Uh, so this this is going to go smoother. Um, he is bringing some cabinet ministers with them at a lower level. Um, but, uh, the highlight for him apparently is he's going to tuck to yuck tuck and you're going to Yellowknife. <laughs> he's really looking forward to going to Canada's north. Um, we'll, we'll see how much he enjoys it. E- even even in April, it, it can be a pretty foreboding place. Um, but it is a sign of the burgeoning trade relationship between the two countries. Okay, so lots to look at there. Now, I want to move on, Rob, because we don't have too much time left. And I think it's worth mentioning uh, at that Volkswagen announcement uh, last week, which was a major industrial announcement of $13 billion subsidy from the federal government uh, for Volkswagen to lure it here for for a battery plant. But uh, I think a few eyebrows were raised when uh, Justin Trudeau, who was speaking to uh, many conservatives, including Doug Ford and some uh, some other cabinet ministers and uh, the local MP, Karen Vecchio, he went totally off script and and a, a real kind of, I guess some might call it a diatribe or a rant or a critique of Pierre Poiliev. Uh, what, what did you make of that? What I make of it is it's it's foreshadowing the campaign that has already effectively begun. We're always in a permanent campaign now, it seems, with uh, particularly with minority governments. But if you were wondering what the campaign was going to look like, that's what it's going to look like uh, if, if we last until uh, 2025. It's going to be nasty. Um, uh, when you're a government that's been in office for 10 years, um, even if you can come up with, uh, with some brilliant new ideas, often they look um, uh, like there's a, a whiff of despair about them if they, if they bring them in too late. Uh, it's hard to run on your record after you've been around for 10 years. You've accumulated uh, nicks, bruises, cuts, scandals. Uh, so you've got to tear down the other guy. And, and, and that began, I think, with that speech uh, in, in St. Thomas. It's notable. It's notable that he did it with a conservative MP there, Ms. Becchio, and with Doug Ford there. Ms. Becchio is there because she knows that this is a very popular announcement in southwestern Ontario. It was hard for her. Uh, necessarily to stay away. I think we were talking before, and you're the one who said it quite astutely. I, I'm pretty sure uh, Mr. Poiliev will be giving instructions to his MPs not to go there, uh, these kind of announcements in the future. But the more important person there was was Doug Ford. Um, and I saw Corey tonight saying, uh, Doug Ford's manager, that about 20% of Mr. Trudeau's vote and Doug Ford's vote overlap. Interesting. Uh, and and, and and, and so it's going to be very difficult for, for, for Mr. Poiliev to, to attack this kind of an announcement. The other person who's watching undoubtedly was François Legault. Uh, François, uh, François Legault, the Premier of Quebec, has, has done a sudden turn on, on uh, the Liberals and is very supportive of Mr. Trudeau uh, and what he's doing. And you, I can tell you that a lot of people in Quebec were, were concerned about Mr. Poiliev's announcement uh, attacking the CBC last week. So there, there is work for Mr. Poiliev to do in Ontario and Quebec, some, some fences to mend 
there, I would say, particularly Mr. Legault, he hasn't met with yet one-on-one. And, and it's an indication of what's coming down the pike. Be prepared for, uh, you know, a, a prime minister, if he does run again, who has been around for a decade, uh, trying to, uh, in effect, define and frame an opposition leader before that opposition leader does does that himself. Like like they did to Stefan Dion. And, uh, but but you know what I really noticed listening to that, and it's worth listening to that uh, again, is that... Um, he basically talked about all the progressive conservatives that were there. And uh, in other words, you're the good conservatives. You're not like that other guy. Uh, and he, he said to Karen Becchio, who won by 19,000 votes last time, I checked out how much she won by, um, you know, I really feel sorry for you, basically, because your guy doesn't want this deal. Because uh, Pierre Polyev has already said, uh, wrote a letter to the parliamentary budget officer saying, can you look into this $13 billion subsidy here and see how it shakes down? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Polyev told his caucus, like, I don't want any of you guys going to any event with Trudeau in your riding because he's turning me into a pinata, right? But Karen Vecchio, who won by 19,000 votes, like, who knows, maybe she'll say, look, buddy. Yeah. You know, and but it's it was all be, about the gonna... good conservatives and, and Doug Ford. And he it was like a love in between Doug Ford, his ministers, Francois Philippe Champagne, the prime minister, progressive conservatives versus Pierre Poilievre, whose anger is not going to build a plant. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a reflection. Doug Ford's president of, of the fact that they have common voters. Uh, and and it's going to be very, very hard for anybody who wants to win support in southwestern Ontario to campaign against that sort of thing. Now, that doesn't mean that Mr. Poiliev is, has, was idle. He was very active over the weekend in an interesting way as well, uh, cam- campaigning with uh, Canadian Sikhs uh, uh, um, to, to celebrate their, their new year and, and, and with Korean Canadians as well. So he's trying to do some of the some of the kinds of things that Jason Kenney used to do yes. quite effectively. Yes. Uh, trying to build bridges between conservatives and, and, and new Canadian voters uh, who are uh, highly politicized, mobilized uh, and, and, and contribute to campaigns uh, and very, very interested in, in Canadian politics. So you're, you're seeing his strategy there uh, away from the House of Commons. Mr. Poiliev is busy uh, rebuilding and building new bridges between uh, conser- the Conservative Party and, and new Canadian voters, uh, which I thought was an interesting strategy and one to watch over the next little while as well. Yeah, well, that's that's really fascinating, Rob. And uh, just on a final point, though, back to that speech, just quickly, is I noticed uh, that Justin Trudeau said, and you're all going to have a choice to make. In about two years, like basically, do you want him or me is kind of what he said. And so he's still talking two years down the road because I guess he thinks this deal with the NDP will last. But it sure didn't sound like it's going to be two years down the road. No, uh, look, uh, these minority governments and these deals last as long as it's advantageous uh, um, uh, uh, for the guy who can pull the plug. As soon as it's not advantageous, the plug is pulled. Exactly. Um, but but right now there is little indication uh, that Mr. Trudeau would would be in an advantageous position if if he pulled the plug. I'm still not entirely convinced he's going to run again, no matter what he and the people around him say. Two years is a long, long time, and we all know uh, now that nobody's won four elections in a row since Wilfrid Laurier uh, did it. 
And no, Julie, I was not there. (laughs) Well, anyway, if he decides, if it gets pulled earlier, he certainly got his lines down. So, um, so look at, have a wonderful day, Rob. It's always great to to talk to you. So that was Rob Russo, a political analyst and former CBC parliamentary bureau chief. I have to read your big fancy title because I I keep forgetting it. Anyway, have a great day. (laughs) You too, Julie. We'll see you later on. Bye. Now let's take a look at what political columnists, commentators, and editorialists are saying today. In the Toronto Star, Chantal Hébert argues Pierre Poilievre is in trouble in Quebec, and he has himself to blame. She writes, the ongoing thaw in the previously icy relationship between François Legault and Justin Trudeau's government has been nothing short of remarkable. And for the Conservatives in Quebec, the latest developments come on the heels of a difficult week. Until now, Poiliev's English-only vendetta against the CBC had largely gone unnoticed in the province. But that ended with the Conservative leaders' latest efforts to depict the CBC as a propaganda tool of the Liberal government. And instead of defending their leader, his Quebec MPs declined all media overtures to expand on their party's intentions. Suffice it to say that Poilievre, whose standing in Quebec puts him in competition with the NDP's Jagmeet Singh for last place among the major parties, did not do himself or his party any good in the province last week. In the conversation, Paul T. Mitchell argues the problem with Canadian defence isn't cash, it's culture. He writes, as important as money is for overall health of the Canadian armed forces, it's not the real problem affecting defence in this country. Rather, it's a combination of factors revolving around the issue of culture. The CAF is currently understaffed by about 16,000 personnel, and there's been a massive exodus of talent. The public service is lacking the experience to understand the interaction between war and diplomacy. But perhaps the greatest threat to Canada's defense is Canadians themselves. We have long been assured that there are few military threats facing the country. Our underinvestment in its security is excused by strong cultural issues that can't be easily wished away. Sadly, only a major disaster can teach critical lessons about failing to address this problem. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will welcome President Steinmeier of Germany. They will participate in a bilateral meeting, then meet with a delegation of German business leaders and attend a lunch. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will make an announcement about zero-emission public transit infrastructure in Toronto. Transport Minister Omar Al-Gabro will make an announcement about proposed changes to air passenger rights. Tourism Minister Randy Boissonneau will help launch National Tourism Week in Ottawa. And the Senate Committee on National Security and Defence will hear from Defence Minister Anita Anand, and the Chief of the Defence Staff, General Wayne Eyre, on issues relating to security and defence in the Arctic. That's CPAC Today in Politics for Monday, April 24th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. I'm Julie Van Dusen. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.